Crazy. Good morning, everybody. Man, thank you to, to Leah and David and Carrie and, and Alex for leading us in worship. That was incredible this morning. Um, you know, I told the band when we went in to pray this morning, we always, Leah says, you know, what can we pray for today? And, and I said, well, you know, I feel like today is going to be kind of a strong message and that always makes me a little bit nervous. But after several conversations before church and then hearing testimony today, I think that, that the word that God has for us is going to make us more resolute, if anything. And so I'm excited about what he's going to do today. Um, I don't want to, I want to take a moment and just stop and say a special thank you to Carrie this morning. Uh, man, you did a fantastic job last week. I know I've already told you that, but I wanted this to be on recording. Um, such a good job of, of showing the completeness of God's work. If you missed it last week, um, go back and listen to that. It's good. Um, he helped us to understand Mary and Joseph's obedience regard to the naming of Jesus and in the observance of the laws and the covenants and how God needed all of that to happen so that Jesus could be the person that God needed him to be. And, he, and Carrie left us with some challenging questions, questions like, uh, parents, are your children seeing you obey God? Um, are we sharing the things with our family that God is saying? Are those that you lead seeing you obey God? Are the, the, the people that you go to school with or people that you work with, are they seeing you obey God? All of those things are things that, that help us to understand, are we walking in obedience? And it's helping the people in our lives to understand the truth of who God is. We're going to see that again today in our passage. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 today, verses 25 through 35, and it's the, the prophecy of, of Simeon. I, I was sharing with Carrie this week, uh, and I've shared with, with you guys before that sometimes I worry that I push you guys too hard. Um, and, and what I mean by that is that I communicate this expectation and I preach towards total obedience to what God says. And that's not by accident. My, my, my fear, my worry is, is not um, from a biblical standpoint, it's from a cultural one. But when I hear uh, things like Carrie preached last week, as I study, as I read, as I, as I think about these things that God's calling us to, I realize that I'm not pushing too hard. I'm saying the things that Jesus was saying. I'm doing the things that Jesus was doing. And that's not from me, that's from the Holy Spirit, just so we're all clear on that. But I've realized over the last week as I've thought about this message in particular that God is trying to redefine for us what it means to be a Christian, to live in a Christian culture. Over the next few weeks as we move out of the birth narrative of Jesus and into the ministry of Jesus, we're going to see Jesus do the same thing. Challenging the religious people to consider what a relationship with God really looks like. What does that mean in day-to-day -day life? It's not about... A list of rules or social constraints or fake facades. It's about being one with God. It's about hearing his voice and doing what he says. And that's our goal. That's the goal that God has for us in his study to, to know Jesus and to make him known. And that means that much of what we think about Jesus or about God is going to be challenged. And I hope that you are ready for that. Because as we move into the ministry of Jesus, this birth narrative stuff is easy. We've heard this all of our lives and we agree and we believe that Jesus was born to a virgin and he's the son of God. And, but when we start talking about the stuff, when we get challenged by the things that Jesus is challenging the religious people of the day, we got to be on our toes and ready to respond in obedience. 
our current understanding of what it means to have a relationship with God has been filtered through our American and our Southern cultures. As we're going to see, see through our, 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 this whole study, some of that's good and some of it's correct, but there's just as much, if not more, that's not correct. But it's things that we accept. It's the way that we do life, and we think we're doing things the right way. And my, my hope and my prayer for myself and for you is that as we walk through this study, that God helps us to see that some of the things that we accept as truth, maybe, maybe they're not. This is kind of what Carrie was speaking to last week through those challenging questions. Are your friends or your coworkers, are your family members seeing you walk with God and obeying what he says to do? And if, if you're not, if they aren't seeing that in your life, you are not living the life that Jesus has called you to. I'm bringing all this up today in this moment because today is Palm Sunday. It's the celebration of the day that Jesus was praised as he entered into Jerusalem, right? You, you, we talked about the story briefly this morning. The, the people are throwing their cloaks on the ground and the colt that Jesus is riding is walking on. They're waving palm branches and they're singing Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. We just, we just sang that to him just now. But it's only going to be a few days before he is betrayed and handed over to the religious, religious leaders who execute him. And this execution happened because Jesus challenged their culture. He challenged their power, but he did it through the way he lived, by the way he loved people. Next week as we celebrate Easter, we're going to, Easter, we're going to pause this series. We're going to celebrate what Jesus accomplished on our behalf as he was killed. But in today's passage, God's going to frame that time of celebration as we see the fulfillment of what Simeon prophesied over Jesus. Look with me today. Let's read together Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 35. So there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and, to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Holy Spirit, he entered the temple when, it, when his parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law. Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told Mary's mother, Mary mother, indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and the rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. You know, something struck me about this section. We're going to talk about a lot of, we're going to talk about the whole thing, but something stood out to me this week as I was preparing. Look at verse 33 again. It says, his father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Consider what has happened in Mary and Joseph's life up until this point, Right? We got Zachariah in the temple, and then the testimony of Elizabeth when Mary shows up. We got Mary's experience with the angels. We didn't talk about it in Luke, but in other in Matthew, we see that Joseph has his own experience with the angels, right? And then we have the shepherds showing up at the birth of Jesus and telling them about the, the vast army of angels that have shown up there, right? Like 
You, you ever have those moments in your life where so much is going on, you feel like your brain's just tapped out, and you're like, I just can't do anymore? Like, I, I, I have to imagine that Mary and Joseph are probably in a place like this. Like, so many incredible things have happened over the last eight or nine months of their lives that they're just kind of blown away by it all. And they go to the temple, this is what Carrie was preaching on last week, to do the things required by the law, and they walk into the temple, and this man, Simeon, walks up and begins to prophesy over Jesus. They were in awe and wonder about what's going on. There was no lack of evidence that God was working in their lives and that Jesus was the Son of God. I was thinking about this this week. Um, raise your hand if you've seen Iron Man 2. Not the greatest of movies, but I love all the Marvel flicks, okay? There's this moment in Iron Man 2, if you remember... Uh, Iron Man and Iron Man 1 got captured and in the cave he built the, the arc reactor to keep the shrapnel out of his heart, right? And he made it out of this stuff called palladium. I'm nerding out, but hang with me, okay? Well, palladium is toxic and it's killing him. And so in Iron Man 2, he's trying to find something else to go in the arc reactor that won't kill him and he just can't figure it out. Now, now Tony Stark, the character in this movie, is supposed to be one of the smartest people in the world. He has all the money, all the technology, and he just cannot do it. And then uh, Nick Fury shows up and like, hey, here's a film from your dad, and he watches it, and he makes this statement. And I love this statement. It's always stood out to me. He said, he's watching this film, and he said, Dad, almost 20 years, and you're still taking me to school. His dad in this film reveals to him this new element that could be made that will fix the arc reactor. And anyway, it ties into the whole thing. But, but here's what I want us to see is Tony Stark, this character, this fictional character, right, who thinks he knows everything, realizes that he doesn't, that there are still people in the world smarter than him. And, and here is my challenge, and here's what I feel like God wants us to understand today as we look at this, this thing that Simeon is prophesying over is that for most of us in this room, if I were to ask you, do you understand what it means to be a follower of Christ? You would say yes. But I think that we all still need to be taken to school. After all that Mary and Joseph had experienced, they still had so much to learn. If that were not the case, they would not have been amazed by what Simeon prophesies over them. That was true for Tony Stark, it's true for Mary and Joseph, and it's true for you and I. We may think we fully understand the gospel, but there's so much for us to learn. The point, number one, that I, that I feel like God wants us to understand today is that God wants to broaden our understanding of who Jesus is and what he came to do. God wants to expand what we understand about Jesus. Now, I got an image because I like these and it helps. This is going to give us some context. So this is Herod's temple, right? Um, the little rectangle up here in the top right corner, that's a football field, Okay. So size comparison, this is Herod's temple. This is where Mary and Joseph took Jesus to do all the things that Carrie talked about last week. This first courtyard, I forgot my laser pointer, now I don't feel as cool. The, the courtyard on the right side called the women's courtyard, it's hard to read up there, that's where they would have been. The big, big part on the other side, that's the Holy of Holies, that's where all the sacrifices, that's where the priest went. But they would have been in the women's courtyard. So the women's courtyard is about four or five football fields big. I want you to see this. I want you to understand the scale of what is going on here because I guarantee you Jesus was not the only baby that showed up that day to be circumcised, right? Certainly, the temple was always full of people. And in the midst of the hustle and the bustle of all the things that are happening in this massive temple, Simeon finds Jesus. This is not happenstance. 
Look at verse 25 through 28 again. It says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation and to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was on him. When he talks about he was looking forward to their consolation, he's talking about he's looking forward to the Messiah, to things being finally redeemed. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and praised God. First of all, I want us to see that Luke again is establishing Simeon as a reliable witness. We've talked about that before, and we're going to continue to see Luke introduce these reliable witnesses. That's why he says, this man who was guided by the Holy Spirit. So Simeon finds Jesus, he takes him up in his arms, and he begins to prophesy over him. And look at what he says in verse 29 through 32. He says, now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace. He's saying, you can let me die. As you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. Notice that Simeon in this is sharing part of his story as he prophesies about Jesus. That part of what he is telling them is, look, this is what God told me he was going to do. That I would live until I saw the Messiah. This is yet another incredible confirmation for Mary and Joseph. He also calls Jesus salvation, whom God has prepared in the presence of all people. Simeon is prophesying. He is expanding Israel's understanding of who the Messiah was going to be. He is talking about, he's prophesying about the inclusiveness of the gospel because it is for all people. It will be a revelation for the Gentiles, he says. And it's going to be a revelation because it's going to be something brand new for them. They may have heard of the prophecies of Jesus, but they don't know it like Israel does. And that is why it will be glory for Israel because they have been waiting and watching for the Messiah. Not only would he be the Savior of the world, but What Simeon is trying to help them understand is that it was not going to be an easy road ahead for Mary and Joseph or for Jesus. Look at verse 34 and 35 again. And Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and the rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed and a sword, he's talking to Mary, and a sword will pierce your own soul so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Simeon's letting Mary and Joseph know that Jesus' mission is going to cause great division in Israel. Paul references this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 13. He says, uh, Paul says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and the foolishness to the Gentiles. And Isaiah also spoke of it in this way in, in chapter 8, verse 14. Isaiah says, let me get to the right page here. He will be a sanctuary, but for the two houses of Israel, he will be a stone a, to stumble over and a rock to trip over and a trap to snare the inhabitants of Jerusalem. This division was not for the sake of division. That's not what, Jesus didn't come to just shake things up. 
Jesus' life and teaching were going to challenge the religious people of that time. And this division was going to be between those who were committed to knowing God and those who were committed to their way of life. Let me say that again. This division that Jesus is going to cause is going to be between those who are committed to knowing God and those who are committed to their own way of life. Point number two, Jesus' division reveals the thoughts of our hearts, and it is a litmus test for where we are with him. I started off today speaking of Jesus' execution because this is what Simeon is alluding towards when he's telling Mary that it would be a sword that would pierce her own soul. He knows that when she sees him on the cross, that it is going to be like death for her. And because we know the gospel, we understand exactly what Simeon is prophesying about. He's talking about this crucifixion. I was listening to a podcast this week on the Great Commission, and the author asked a series of questions that shook me in a way that I haven't been shaken recently. He was talking about our call by Jesus to share the gospel. And he recounted the disciples, the apostles, and the many martyrs and how their lives ended in torture and death. He's talking about the Great Commission, right? We talk, I bring this up all the time where Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them of the things that I have taught you. Baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? We're familiar with the Great Commission. Look at Revelation chapter 6. This is for you, Carrie. Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. This is John, one of the things that he sees. Because I, I want us to understand something. This is what the author of the podcast was trying to help us understand is that the cost of being a disciple of Jesus is great. This is what Simeon is telling Mary and Joseph. Look at Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11, because I want us to understand the depths that we're going to have to go. It says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slaughtered because of the word of God and the testimony they had given. They cried out with a loud voice, Lord, the one who is holy and true, how long until you judge those who live on earth and avenge our blood? So they were each given a white robe and they were told to rest a little while longer until the number would be completed of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters who were going to be killed just as they had been. Let me paraphrase what John is saying. What God is telling these martyrs, I'm not done yet. And there are more who will die for my sake. The martyrs of our faith must, quote, wait a little longer until the number would be completed of the fellow servants, the brothers, and the sisters who are going to be killed just as they had been killed. There are going to be more martyrs. And Jesus has not come back yet, which means that number has not yet been fulfilled. Disciples of Jesus are going to face opposition. Jesus was very clear about that. He said, they will hate you just as they hated me. And before Jesus' return, more will be killed for sharing the gospel. Now, the author of this this podcast was not saying that martyrdom is the end result for all of those who try to fulfill the Great Commission, right? We can all agree on that. That's not what he's saying. But without a doubt, it is a possibility. The question he asked that shook me is, are we willing to go to that distance for the sake of the gospel? 
Or have we allowed our comfort to overrule the commands of God? Simeon is letting Mary and Joseph know what they can expect. The path their son is going to take was going to be costly. And church, if we are going to know Jesus, if we are going to make him known, we must be aware that it would or could be costly. I've heard testimony today of the cost that some of you are paying for being the men and the women that God has called you to be. And we need to fully understand that we are going to face opposition, but it's not just going to be from outside the church. It's also going to be from inside the church. When we begin to speak this way, there are those in the church that are going to question us. When we say that sometimes we may have to go literally to death for the sake of the gospel, people are going to say, whoa, hold on, Will. It's a little extreme, buddy. I don't know if, I don't know if that's really if that's necessary. They're going to try to convince us that Jesus didn't intend for us to go that far or that that kind of life is too dangerous. That isn't biblical theology, though. That's comfort theology. Let's think of it this way. It's Palm Sunday. The multitudes threw down their coats. They waved palm branches proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. Yet a week later after Jesus is arrested by the religious leaders, was tortured, subjected to a mock trial, and ultimately crucified, where are those crowds of people? Do you not think for a moment, think about the resurrection story, and we may touch on this next week. But when Jesus is brought before Pontius Pilate, what are the crowds screaming for? Barabbas! Do you not think for a moment, it is clear in Scripture, that Pontius Pilate wants to please who? The crowd. It's his job to keep peace. If those same people that had been praising God and singing Hosanna in the highest had been there before Pontius Pilate, he would not have died. It is easy to sit in church, to raise our hands, to sing praises to God, to, to pray together, to hear a sermon, to a, attend a life group. It is much harder to follow Jesus to the cross. The question God has for us today is this. Are we going to be in the multitude of those praising God's name and then disappearing when the following of him gets difficult or uncomfortable or painful? Or... Are we going to be with the few who stand at the foot of the cross and in doing so identify with him and put our very lives at risk? Jesus had so many interactions with religious leaders in which their conversations revealed their hearts. They struggled with Jesus, not because Jesus didn't love them or because he was rude or disrespectful to them. They, they struggled with Jesus because Jesus revealed that their commitment was not to God in serving his people. Their commitment was to their own power, to their position, and to their comfort. I want to ask you this today. Don't say it out loud. But if Jesus came to your house for dinner, what would your conversation with him reveal about your heart? Where does your commitment lie? Are you committed to Jesus and to whatever that costs you? Or are you simply committed to the comfort that comes from identifying with him? It's hard to think about, isn't it? It's hard to put ourselves in that place and consider that. Are you feeling the tension that questions like that cause? Are you feeling it? Yes or no? Are you feeling the tension? 
Division can be painful, but it's necessary for us to grow beyond where we are right now. That tension that you feel is only a taste of what those religious leaders felt as Jesus lived in front of them what they were supposed to be doing. The jealousy that welled up in them because this this nobody from Nazareth was being more like God than they were. I'll be honest with you guys, this is not where I saw this sermon going when I started the outline last week. (laughs) But I have no doubt that this is where Jesus wants it to be. Church, if we look at the lives of the disciples, we see growth. We see men that knew nothing and had no special training. But they grew as they walked with Jesus, as they obeyed what he said, and as they saw God working through Jesus and through them. They messed up a lot, but Jesus never wearied of correcting them or teaching them. And that's true for us too. We are going to make mistakes. We are going to get our priorities out of whack. And that is the beauty of the cross, is that God gives us grace for that. But God wants all of us to know him, to show, God wants us to show us where we are missing the mark and to grow us into the men and women that God has called us to be. Growing is difficult because it requires that we get uncomfortable. It doesn't matter if you're studying for a test or going through a sickness or dealing with a situation at work or struggling in sin. Growth always costs us something. We saw last week that for Mary and Joseph, there was a price that had to be paid for them to take care of Jesus. Socially and financially, it cost them something. But we also saw that it was a price that they were willing to pay. It was worth the cost for them. As we walk with Jesus, as we grow in our understanding, it is going to cost us something. But it's going to change us into people that are more and more like Jesus. And this is the goal, Right? To be more like Jesus, to be reconciled to God as we grow in our relationship with Him. Yesterday morning, this was one of my Tozer, or this was a, a Tozer devotional I read, said exactly like Jesus. He said, now someone who in spite of his past sins honestly wants to become reconciled to God may cautiously inquire, if I come to God, how will he act toward me? What kind of disposition has he? What will I find him to be like? The answer is that he will be found to be exactly like Jesus. He that hath seen me, said Jesus, hath seen the Father. Tozer said, Christ walked with men on earth that he might show them what God is like and make known the true nature of God to a race that had wrong ideas about him. This was only one of the things he did while he was in the flesh, but he did with beautiful perfection. From him we learn how God acts towards people. The hypocritical, the basically insincere, will find him cold and aloof as they once found Jesus. But the penitent will find him merciful. The self-condemned will find him generous and kind. To the frightened, he is friendly. To the poor in spirit, he is forgiving. To the ignorant, considerate. To the weak, gentle. And to the stranger, hospitable. And he referenced Psalm 145.9 that says, The Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all he has made. Church, this is our call. 
is to show the world the true nature of who God is. If we broaden our understanding of who Jesus is by experiencing life while walking with him, the world will see the true nature of God through us. As we die to ourselves, as we die to our desire to be comfortable, the world will see Jesus. Simeon's call was not to comfort. Mary's call was not to comfort. Joseph's call was not to comfort. Jesus' call was not to comfort. Your call is not to comfort. If your spiritual life is comfortable, if it doesn't cost you something, it isn't centered around Jesus, it's centered around you. As we prepare our hearts for the celebration of the resurrection of Christ, let's take the time to consider where we have placed our hearts. Are they at the foot of the cross or at they, at they feed a culture? What master do we serve? Is it ourselves or is it Jesus? We have the opportunity this week to share the gospel with people in our lives. It is more culturally acceptable to talk about Jesus this week than it will be the rest of the year. People are more willing to go to church next Sunday than they will be the rest of the year. And God has people in your life who desperately want and need to hear the gospel. We got to get uncomfortable. We got to do one of these in worship because it means something. You're welcome. We do it again. Are we... I'll bring my cane next week. I'll, I'll be limping. It's okay. Gather back with me for a minute. Are we willing to die? Are you willing to die to yourself and have a conversation that could possibly be uncomfortable? Are you willing to die to yourself and possibly have a conversation that could be uncomfortable? Or are you like the crowd singing Hosanna, which by the way means save us now. And then disappear when the work of salvation is actually taking place. Church, we all need to be more like Jesus. But that requires laying everything down at the foot of the cross. Giving completely of ourselves just like Jesus did. It requires that we move beyond what culture defines as a relationship with God. And let God broaden our understanding of who He is. Because that is the only way that the people in our lives will ever come to know Jesus. It's through us letting God see him in a bigger way. And responding as he calls us to respond. To being more committed to him than we are our own comfort. Let's pray. Jesus, I am so personally challenged by your word today. Father, I ask for myself first, but also for my brothers and sisters in this room, that you would define for us what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Father, I ask that you would, you would take the places of our lives where we have made it all about ourselves, and you'd reveal it, and you would change that about us. Father, that you would work in our hearts to make us more like you. Father, I ask that you would give us a burning desire to know you 
more. And Father, that that would be the spark that, it, that inspires us to share who you are. Not because Will preached loudly, not because I'm supposed to, but because I can't help but tell the people in my lives how good you are. God, help us to desire you more than we desire comfortability. Jesus, only you can do this in our lives. We know that you hold all the power to do it, Father. And I only speak for myself today, but I hope that my brothers and sisters are here with me. God, I ask that you would do that for me. Change me into your likeness. Remove the selfishness from my life. Jesus, I need it. And I'm so thankful for your mercy and for your grace and for your death that covered my sin. Holy Spirit, I ask that your presence would be with us this morning as we close in worship. Amen.